Chapter 70 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 70 The Funeral of the Stranger of the Inn, The Popular Commotion, and Mrs. Chillingworth's Appeal to the Mob, The New Riot, The Hall in Danger. As yet the town was quiet, and, though there was no appearance of riot or disturbance, yet the magistracy had taken every precaution they deemed needful, or their position and necessities warranted, to secure the peace of the town from the like disturbance to that which had been, of late, a disgrace and terror of peaceably disposed persons. The populace were well advertised of the fact that the body of the stranger was to be buried that morning in their churchyard, and that, to protect the body, should there be any necessity for so doing, a large body of constables would be employed. There was no disposition to riot, at least none was visible. It looked as if there was some event about to take place that was highly interesting to all parties, who were peaceably assembling to witness the interment of nobody knew who. The early hour at which persons were assembling, at different points, clearly indicated that there was a spirit of curiosity about the town, so uncommon that none would have noticed it but for the fact of the crowd of people who hung about the streets, and there remained listless and impatient. The inn, too, was crowded with visitors, and there were many who, not being blessed with the strength of purse that some were, were hanging about in the distance, waiting and watching the motions of those who were better provided. "'Ah,' said one of the visitors, "'this is a disagreeable job in your house, landlord.' "'Yes, sir, I'd sooner it had happened elsewhere, I assure you. I know it has done me no good.' "'No, no man could expect any, and yet it is none the less unfortunate for that.' "'I would sooner anything else happen than that, whatever it might be. I think it must be something very bad, at all events, but I dare say I shall never see the like again.' "'So much the better for the town,' said another, "'for, what with vampires and riots,' there has been but little else stirring than mischief and disturbances of one kind or another. Yes, and what between Varney's and Bannerworth's, we have had but little peace here. Precisely. Do you know it's my opinion that the least thing would upset the whole town? Any one unlucky word would do it, I am sure, said a tall thin man. I've no doubt of it, said another, but I hope the military would do their duty under such circumstances, for people's lives and property are not safe in such a state of things. Oh, dear, no. I wonder what has become of Varney, or where he can have gone to. Some thought he must have been burned when they burned his house, replied the landlord. But I believe it generally understood he's escaped, has he not? No traces of his body were found in the ruins. None. Oh, he's escaped, there can be no doubt of that. I wish I had some fortune depending upon the fact. It would be mine, I am sure. Well, the Lord keep us from vampires and such like cattle, said an old woman. I shall never sleep again in my bed with any safety. It frightens one out of one's life to think of it. What a shame the men didn't catch him and stake him. The old woman left the inn as soon as she had spoke this Christian speech. Humane, said a gentleman with a sporting coat on. The old woman is no advocate for half-measures. You are right, sir, said the landlord, and a very good lookout she keeps upon the pot to see it's full, and carefully blows the froth off. Ah, I thought as much. 
How soon will the funeral take place, landlord? inquired a person who had at that moment entered the inn. In about an hour's time, sir. Oh, the town seems pretty full, though it is very quiet. I suppose it is more as a matter of curiosity people congregate to see the funeral of this stranger? I hope so, sir. The time is wearing on, and if they don't make a dust, why then the military will not be troubled. I do not expect anything more, sir, said the landlord, for you see they must have had their swing out, as the saying is, and be fully satisfied. They cannot have much more to do in the way of exhibiting their anger or dislike to vampires. They all have done enough. So they have, so they have. Granted, said an old man with a troublesome cough, but when did you ever know a mob to be satisfied? If they wanted the moon and got it, they'd find out it would be necessary to have the stars also. That's uncommonly true, said the landlord. I shouldn't be surprised if they didn't do something worse than ever. Nothing more likely, said the little old man. I can believe anything of a mob, anything, no matter what. The inn was crowded with visitors, and several extra hands were employed to wait upon the customers, and a scene of bustle and activity was displayed that was never before seen. It would glad the heart of a landlord, though he were made of stone, and landlords are usually of much more malleable materials than that. However, the landlord had hardly time to congratulate himself, for the bearers were come now, and the undertaker and his troop of death-following officials. There was a stir among the people, who began now to awaken from the lethargy that seemed to come over them while they were waiting for the moment when it should arrive, that was to place the body under the green sod, against which so much of their anger had been raised. There was a decent silence that pervaded the mob of individuals who had assembled. Death, with all its ghastly insignia, had an effect even upon the unthinking multitude, who were ever ready to inflict death or any violent injury upon any object that came in their way. They never hesitated. But even these, now the object of their hatred was no more, felt appalled. Tis strange what a change comes over masses of men as they gaze upon a dead body. It may be that they all know that to that complexion they must come at last. This may be the secret of the respect offered to the dead. The undertakers are men, however, who are used to the presence of death. It is their element. They gain a living by attending upon the last abesquies of the dead. They are used to dead bodies, and care not for them. Some of them are humane men, that is, in their way, and even among them are men who wouldn't be deprived of their joke as they screwed down the last screw. They could not forbear, even on this occasion, to hold their converse when left alone. Jacobs, said one who was turning a long screw. Jacobs, my boy, do you take the chair tonight? Yes, said Jacobs, who was a long, lugubrious-looking man. I do take the chair if I live over this blessed event. You are not croaking, Jacobs, are you? Well, you are a lively customer, you are. Lively? Do you expect people to be lively when they are full-dressed for a funeral? You are a nice article for your profession. You don't feel like an undertaker, you don't. Don't, Jacobs, my boy, as long as I look like one when occasion demands. When I have done my job, I puts my comfort in my pocket, and thinks how much more pleasanter it is to be going to other people's funerals than to our own, and then only sees the difference as regards the money. True, said Jacobs with a groan, but death's a melancholy article at all events. So it is. And when you come to consider the number of people we have buried, how many have gone to their last homes, 
and how many more will go the same way? Yes, yes, that's all very well, Jacobs. You are precious surly this morning. I'll come to-night. You're brewing a sentimental tale as sure as eggs is eggs. Well, that is pretty certain, but as I was saying, how many more are there? Ah, don't bother yourself with calculations that have neither beginning nor end, and which haven't one point to go. Come, Jacobs, have you finished yet? Quite, said Jacob. They now arranged the pall and placed all in readiness, and returned to a place downstairs where they could enjoy themselves for an odd half-hour, and pass the time away until the moment should arrive when his reverence would be ready to bury the deceased, upon consideration of the fees to be paid upon the occasion. The tap-room was crowded, and there was no room for the men, and they were taken into the kitchen, where they were seated and earnestly at work, preparing bodily for the ceremony that had so shortly to be performed. "'Any better, Jacobs?' "'What do you mean?' inquired Jacobs, with a groan. "'It's news to me if I have been ill.' "'Oh, yes, you were doleful upstairs, you know.' "'I've a proper regard for my profession. "'That's the difference between you and I, you know. "'I'll wager what you like now, "'that I'll handle a corpse and drive a screw in a coffin "'as well as you now, "'although you are so solid and miserable.' "'So you may, so you may.' "'Then what do you mean by saying "'I haven't a proper regard for my profession?' I say you haven't, and there's the thing that shall prove it. You don't look it, and that's the truth. I don't look like an undertaker. Indeed, I dare say I don't if I ain't dressed like one. Nor when you are, reiterated Jacobs. Why not, pray? Because you have always a grin on your face as broad as a gridiron, that's why. This ended the dispute, for the employer of the men suddenly put his head in, saying, Come now, time's up. You are wanted upstairs, all of you. Be quick, we shall have his reverence waiting for us, and then we shall lose his recommendation. Ready, sir, said the round man, taking up his pint and finishing it off as a draught, at the same moment he thrust the remains of some bread and cheese into his pocket. Jacob, too, took his pot, and, having finished it, with great gravity followed the example of his more jocose companion, and they all left the kitchen for the room above, where the corpse was laying ready for interment. There was an unusual bustle, everybody was on the tip-top of expectation, and awaiting the result in a quiet hurry, and hoped to have the first glimpse of the coffin, though why they should so do it was difficult to define. But in this fit of mysterious hope and expectation they certainly stood. "'Will they be long?' inquired a man at the door of one inside. "'Will they be long before they come?' "'They are coming now,' said the man. "'Do you all keep quiet?' They are knocking their heads against the top of the landing. Hark! There, I told you so. The man departed, hearing something, and being satisfied that he had got some information. Now then, said the landlord, move out of the way, and allow the corpse to pass out. Let me have no indecent conduct. Let everything be as it should be. The people soon removed from the passage and vicinity of the doorway, and then the mournful procession, as the newspapers have it, moved forward. They were heard coming downstairs, and thence along the passage, until they came to the street, and then the whole number of attendants was plainly discernible. How different was the funeral of one who had friends! He was alone, none followed, save the undertaker and his attendants, all of whom looked solemn from habit and professional motives. Even the jocose man was as supernaturally solemn as could be well imagined. Indeed, nobody knew he was the same man." 
Well, said the landlord, as he watched them down the street, as they slowly paced their way with funeral, not sorrowful, solemnity, well, I am very glad that is all over. It has been a sad plague to you, said one. It has indeed. It must be to any one who has had another such job as this. I don't say it out of any disrespect to the poor man who is dead and gone, quite the reverse, but I would not have such another affair on my hands for pounds. I can easily believe you, especially when we come to consider the disagreeables of a mob. You may say that. There's no knowing what they will or won't do, confound them. If they'd act like men and pay for what they have, why, then I shouldn't care much about them. But it don't do to have other people in the bar. I should think not, indeed. That would alter the scale of your profits, I reckon. It would make all the difference to me. Business, added the landlord, conducted at that scale, would become a loss, and a man might as well walk into a well at once. So I should say. Have many such occurrences as these been usual in this part of the country? inquired the stranger. Not usual at all, said the landlord. But the fact is, the whole neighborhood has run distracted about some superhuman being they call a vampire. Indeed? Yes, and they suspected the unfortunate man who has been lying upstairs, a corpse, for some days. Oh, the man they have just taken in the coffin to bury? said the stranger. Yes, sir, the same. Well, I thought perhaps somebody of great consequence had suddenly become defunct. Oh, dear, no, it would not have caused half the sensation. People have been really mad. It was a strange occurrence altogether, I believe, was it? inquired the stranger. Indeed it was, sir. I hardly know the particulars. There have been so many tales afloat, though they all concur in one point, and that is, it has destroyed the peace of one family. Who had done so? the vampire. Indeed, I never heard of such an animal, save as a fable, before. It seems to me extraordinary. So it would do to any one, sir, as was not on the spot, to see it. I'm sure I wouldn't. In the meantime, the procession, short as it was of itself, moved along in slow time through a throng of people who ran out of their houses on either side of the way, and lined the whole length of the town. Many of these closed in behind, and followed the mourners until they were near the church, and then they made a rush to get into the churchyard. As yet all had been conducted with tolerable propriety, the funeral met with no impediment. The presence of death among so many of them seemed some check upon the license of the mob, who bowed in silence to the majesty of death. Who could bear ill-will against him who was now no more? Man, while he is man, is always the subject of hatred, fear, or love. Some one of these passions, in a modified state, exists in all men, and with such feelings they will regard each other, and it is barely possible that any one should not be the object of some of these, and hence the stranger's corpse was treated with respect. In silence the body proceeded along the highway until it came to the churchyard, and followed by an immense multitude of people of all grades. The authorities trembled. They knew not what all this portended. They thought it might pass off but it might become a storm first. They hoped and feared by turns, till some of them fell sick with apprehension. There was a deep silence observed by all those in the immediate vicinity of the coffin, but those farther in the rear found full expression of their feelings. Do you think, said an old man to another, that he will come to life again, eh? Oh, yes, vampires always do, and lay in the moonlight, and then they come to life again. 
Moonlight recovers a vampire to life again. And yet the moonlight is cold. Ah, but who's to tell what may happen to a vampire, or what's hot or what's cold? Certainly not. Oh, dear, no. And then they have permission to suck the blood of other people to live themselves, and to make other people vampires, too. The Lord have mercy upon us. Aye, but they have driven a stake through this one, and he can't get in the moonlight or daylight. It's all over. He's certainly done for. We may congratulate ourselves on this point. So we may, so we may. They now neared the grave, the clergyman officiating as usual on such occasions. There was a large mob of persons on all sides, with serious faces, watching the progress of the ceremony, and who listened in quietness. There was no sign of any disturbance amongst the people, and the authorities were well pleased. They congratulated themselves upon the quietness and orderliness of the assemblage. The service was ended and the coffin lowered, and the earth was thrown on the coffin lid with a hollow sound. Nobody could hear that sound unmoved. But in a short while the sound ceased as the grave became filled. It was then trodden carefully down. There were no relatives there to feel affected at the last scene of all. They were far away, and, according to popular belief upon the subject, they must have been dead some ages. The mob watched the last shovelful of earth thrown upon the coffin, and witnessed the ramming down of the soil, and the heaping of it over at top to make the usual monument. For all this was done speedily and carefully, lest there should be any tendency to exhume the body of the deceased. The people were now somewhat relieved as to their state of solemnity and silence. They would all of them converse freely on the matter that had so long occupied their thoughts. They seemed now let loose, and everybody found himself at liberty to say or do something, no matter if it were not very reasonable. That is not always required of human beings who have souls, or at least it is unexpected, and were it expected, the expectation would never be realized. The day was likely to wear away without a riot, nay, even without a fight, a most extraordinary occurrence for such a place under the existing circumstances for of late the populace, or perhaps the townspeople, were extremely pugnacious, and many were the disputes that were settled by the very satisfactory application of the knuckles to the head of the party holding a contrary opinion. Thus it was they were ready to take fire, and a hubbub would be the result of the slightest provocation. But, on the present occasion, there was a remarkable dearth of all subjects of the nature described. Who was to lead Israel out to battle? Alas, no one on the present occasion. Such a one, however, appeared, at least one who furnished a ready excuse for a disturbance. Suddenly Mrs. Chillingworth appeared in the midst of a large concourse of people. She had just left her house, which was close at hand, her eyes red with weeping, and her children around her on this occasion. The crowd made way for her, and gathered around her to see what was going to happen. "'Friends and neighbors,' she said, can any of you relieve the tears of a distressed wife and mother? Have any of you seen anything of my husband, Mr. Chillingworth? What, the doctor? exclaimed one. Yes, Mr. Chillingworth, the surgeon. He has not been home two days and a night. I'm distracted. What can have become of him I don't know, unless... Here Mrs. Chillingworth paused, and some person said, Unless what, Mrs. Chillingworth? There are none but friends here who wish the doctor well, and would do anything to serve him. Unless what? Speak out. Unless he's been destroyed by the vampire, heaven knows what we may all come to. Here am I and my children deprived of our protector by some means which we cannot imagine, 
He never in all his life did the same before. He must have been spirited away by some of the vampires. I'll tell you what, friend, said one to another, that something must be done. Nobody's safe in their bed. No, they are not indeed. I think that all vampires ought to be burned and a stake run through them, and then we should be safe. Aye, but you must destroy all those who are even suspected of being vampires, or else one may do all the mischief. So he might. Hurrah! shouted the mob. Chillingworth forever! We'll find the doctor somewhere if we pull down the whole town. There was an immense commotion among the populace, who began to start throwing stones and do all sorts of things without any particular object, and some, as they said, to find the doctor, or to show how willing they were to do so if they knew how. Mrs. Chillingworth, however, kept on talking to the mob, who continued shouting, and the authorities anticipated an immediate outbreak of popular opinion, which is generally accompanied by some forcible demonstration, and on this occasion someone suggested the propriety of burning down Bannerworth Hall, because they had burned down the vampire's house, and they might as well burn down that of the injured party, which was carried by acclamation, and with loud shouts they started on their errand. This was a mob's proceeding all over, and we regret very much to say that it is very much the characteristic of English mobs. What an uncommonly strange thing it is that people in multitudes seem completely to get rid of all reason, all honor, all common ordinary honesty, while if you were to take the same people singly, you would find that they were reasonable enough and would shrink with a feeling quite approaching to horror from anything in the shape of very flagrant injustice. This can only be accounted for by a piece of cowardice in the human race, which induces them when alone and acting with the full responsibility of their actions, to shrink from what it is quite evident they have a full inclination to do, and will do when, having partially lost their individuality in a crowd, they fancy that to a certain extent they can do so with impunity. The burning of Sir Francis Varney's house, although it was one of those proceedings which would not bear the test of patient examination, was yet, when we take all the circumstances into consideration, an act really justifiable and natural in comparison with the one which was now meditated. Bannerworth Hall had never been the residence even of any one who had done the people any injury or given them any offense, so that to let it become a prey to the flames was but a gratuitous act of mischief. It was, however, or seemed to be, doomed, for all who have had any experience in mobs must know how extremely difficult it is to withdraw them from any impulse once given, especially when that impulse, as in the present instance, is of a violent character. Down with Bannerworth Hall, was the cry. Burn it, burn it! And augmented by fresh numbers each minute, the ignorant, and in many respects, ruffianly assemblage, soon arrived within sight of what had been for so many years the bane of the Bannerworths, and whatever may have been the fault of some of that race, those faults had been of a domestic character, and not at all such as would interfere with the public wheel. The astonished and almost worn-out authorities, hastily, now, after having disposed of their prisoners, collected together what troops they could, and by the time the misguided, or rather the not-guided-at-all, populace, had got halfway to Bannerworth Hall, they were being outflanked by some of the dragoons, who, by taking a more direct route, hoped to reach Bannerworth Hall first, and so, perhaps, by letting the mob see that it was defended, induce them to give up the idea of its destruction, on account of the danger attendant upon the proceeding, 
by far exceeding any of the anticipated delight of the disturbance. End of chapter 70